One, oh, you've already started it. <clears throat> I was going to give him a countdown here. All right, Matthew sixteen seventeen, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Isn't it great to get a revelation from God? To know that God speaks to you? That is one of the most comforting things in the whole world. I, I was so very fortunate to have Brother Craig Mormon staying in our home. Brother Mormon is so positive. He's so upbeat. Uh, he really, you know, he, he can just look in a, a mud puddle and, and see something great about it. He just, you know, that's just the kind of guy he is. Just, and we sit out on the front porch. He liked that front porch. He's out in the country. We sit out there. Of course, the bad thing <clears throat> was the mosquitoes, but uh, we sat out there and talked about the Lord. And we got involved in this uh, business of God talking to us and the revelation of truth and how a revelation comes. I'm going to tell you, if you ever receive a revelation of the mighty God in Christ, you need to cling to that and hold to that. Buy the truth, the Bible says, and sell it not. One of the most comforting things in the whole world. Verse 18, But I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means called out ones. Now, <clears throat> there has been a debate for centuries about the called out ones. <clears throat> Two schools of thought involved in this. One is we're called out of the world. I agree that we are. We were in the world. We came from afar off. The apostle Paul addresses this and Peter addresses it. And tells us we came out of the world. But the other school of thought is the called out ones that we were called out of Christ from his side flowed both blood and water and it was with this blood according to acts 20 28 that he purchased the church well <clears throat> i personally believe that both are right i believe that we were called out of the world but that jesus christ is the entrance he is the door not just to heaven but into the kingdom of god and you cannot get into the kingdom of God without going through Jesus Christ. And we came out of Jesus Christ. Let's talk tonight on the subject, what made the first church such a great church? And then we want you, as we go through this, to give some thought uh, to your own life. Because the Bible, being the manual of life, it's the only thing, Brother Reagan, that we have to measure ourselves with. If we measure ourselves with other people, we will always fall short. If we measure ourselves just by ourselves, the same will happen. But we must measure ourselves according to the Word. And every man's going to be judged according to the Bible. What is written... In the book. Now there's no doubt about it. <clears throat> that the first century people. Especially the apostles. 
who were primarily responsible for the giving of faith to the church, that is the projection of faith, they were with the Lord, the master teacher, for better than three years. I mean, you sit in, in Bible school, Bible college, under the greatest teacher that has ever lived. Uh, you sit under a teacher like this, and, and you must come out uh, feeling that, that, that God is, is an awesome God. I mean, they saw the miracles, the raising of the dead, the healing of the blind, the lepers, devils being cast out, the feeding of the 5,000. You, you think about what a great miracle that was. <clears throat> so, I personally think that, that these men, uh, they, they had what I would call an advantage. I would like to have been with Jesus. But on the other hand, I wonder sometime if I actually lived in the days of Jesus, if Jesus would have chosen me. And I think that all of us need to think that way because when the Lord called these men, He not only called them to just be first-hand observers, but He called them to become involved in what He was involved in. So basically, I think that uh, we can say that that the Lord had a right to expect them to do Exactly what he himself had done. He even told them that greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. He also told them, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. However, just because that they were with the Lord for better than three years, I do not find anywhere in the Scripture even the slightest hint that I am excused by the Lord for having a lesser or smaller degree of faith than these people. I know this is very challenging, but I don't find that. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. The Bible also even tells us concerning church attendance. The Bible tells us that in the book of Hebrews, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now there's, there's a lot involved in this. Now the thing that, that strikes me is no doubt being a big factor in the success of the apostles if we turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, where Jesus talked about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, verse 21. Verse 22, he says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness... 
How great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. And the big question is, when you look at your life, are you trying to serve two masters? Sometimes three, sometimes four. People in our day have too many things going to serve God the way they need to serve God. And every man who is giving a measurable amount of time to the Lord is going to find, I don't care where he lives or where he works, that he will have to alter his schedule just to work in what he needs to work in because life is too demanding these days upon people. Now, obviously, though, this is no new thing because it was addressed in the Scripture many times. Jesus even gave parables. Well, I bought a piece of ground. I just got married. You remember those excuses? Why do you think that Jesus gave parables like that? Because the truth of the matter is, the lifestyle that you're living today, even though it may be totally different from the lifestyle of the Hebrew people, or even the Gentiles that accepted the Lord in the book of Acts, the instructions are given in the Bible because there is a common problem that has existed in mankind since the beginning, and that is, he becomes overcommitted to the things of this life. And therefore, he has little or no time left for God. If you just give God what's left over, you won't have much. You really won't have much. We have among us some people that are not very vocal. Some that are fairly quiet. I don't hear much out of them. Every now and then I just stop and try to kind of pry open the lid a little bit and, and, and see if I can, can talk to them about their life. And when you, when you get down to it and you get into their living, I hear this from people. People that I, you know, you just make the assumption they, they just don't do anything hardly, you know, because you, they're not very vocal. They say, oh, we're so busy, brother. We're just so busy. If we just had more time, and that is a big factor, I feel that <clears throat> the greatest degree of faith that you can find placed in any individual in the Scripture was placed in this man that preached the first apostolic message because he had the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he understood the function of the church as it relates to Christ. He understood that. But I know that given, uh, given the same degree of revelation to the other apostles in, in time, maybe they didn't, didn't have it right then, but they were given this, this uh, revelation that resting upon the shoulders of the original apostles of the Lamb 
were responsibilities that, uh, I mean, you think about the whole human race being preserved as a result of what they preached or what they did not preach. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But when I carefully view not just the Scripture, but what we are confronted with today with better than 5 billion people upon the face of the earth, and when I look at the size of the Christian movement, and when I look at all the signs of the times, knowing that we're living in the last days, then I must also conclude, Brother Thomas, that resting upon the shoulders of ministers today is a task or responsibility, rather, because of the size of the task that has been unequaled in history. The people who launched out the church from the shorelines of tradition and broke all of the ropes that held them to their way of thinking. I I almost said the law, but they were stretching the law. They were abusing the law. The law was God's idea. But uh, they were so rooted in tradition. These men, we must... We must just pull our hats off to these men and say, look what they did. But can you honestly say that their task was more monumental than the task that's placed in the hands of Christians today who are responsible for guiding the old ship of Zion in the darkened waters of our world today in these last moments of time. You see, we are the generation that has climbed ourselves up to the top of the horizon and peeped over. And when we look over, there's nothing beyond. It's bleak. It's dark. It's dismal. Everything points to the judgments of God and the soon return of Jesus Christ. And yet, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the early century Christians were finding something in God that the average 20th century Christian today is not finding. I might stand behind this pulpit and with the words I speak tonight, just totally preach condemnation upon myself. But if it has to be, then so be it. Because... You see, when when I look at the first century church, they were great because they had one solution to every problem. That was basically it. One solution. In every problem that they had, the Scripture says, they took it to the Lord in prayer. Did you know they actually believed that God could work out everything for them? Now, in our world where uh, humanism has been taught for three quarters of a century 
it's hard for us to believe that that God is interested in just little details. But He is. Every problem that that church faced, they took it to God in prayer. They were a group of people that believed in prayer. Now let me just uh, let me just point out something that that I think that's very very important. If you if you turn with me to Luke the the sixteenth chapter, pardon me, the twenty fourth chapter, Luke twenty four, and we'll read the the great commission. In Luke twenty four forty five, he opened their understandings that they might understand their understanding. Pardon me, that they might understand the scriptures. He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witness of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from heaven, from them, pardon me, and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, look at verse 20, verse 53, pardon me. And were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, the upper room obviously was in the temple. This is where they went. Now, if you turn to, to Acts 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm sorry. I'm making so many mistakes tonight. But it's not a mistake that I preach this. The Apostle Paul starts declaring the gospel and what the gospel is. It was the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And then, verse 6, he said, After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Now, we don't have any record in the Gospels where after the resurrection, Jesus was seen of 500 people at one time. But obviously, uh, he was because the Scripture declares it here. The Bible says, Of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Many Bible scholars say that no doubt the only time in which this occurred was somewhere around the time in which Jesus addressed the human race for the last time. Now, when you read about the Great Commission, it appears that he's talking only to the apostles, and I'm sure that part of it was for them and them alone. But we know that in Acts, the first chapter in the upper room, which was in the temple, that there were 120 believers there. So obviously he addressed more than just the apostles at his departure. Now, if we had 120 in the upper room, 
And if 500 heard, then there must have been 380 people who did not go to the upper room. They just didn't go. Maybe some were just too tied up or whatever. I do know this, that recently I was in a church service at a camp. It was about six hours long. I don't know if you've ever been in a six-hour long church service, but that's a long time. On Pentecost Sunday of this past year, or at least the, the Sunday we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, we had a service that began at 10, and of course we broke and had food. Came back in and last to four o'clock. That's six hours. I do know that some of our young people were bored and they played basketball during church, which I found out later, and I would have gone out there myself and stopped it had I known. But they were out playing basketball. Um, but uh, <clears throat> six hours a long service. But let me tell you about the 120. The 120 were in a service that lasted 240 hours. Ten full days. And the thing about it is they were not only there praying, but they were also fasting. So, you see, the power that the first church had being resident in the average Christian was not there just because that they had an association with Jesus Christ in the flesh. They had the ability to hear Him and listen to Him and believe that what He said was true. And so as a result, they became known... As people who could bind together in one mind and one accord. When Peter and John were threatened with death and cast into prison. You know it's an amazing thing to me too. Of all the people, I searched the scripture. Of all the people who were cast into prison as a result of their encounter with officials and various ones because of their preaching of God or Jesus Christ, you find no place in the Scripture where any of these people ever uttered a prayer for themselves. I got to thinking, if I was placed in jail tonight as a result of preaching Jesus Christ, I wonder if I could restrain from praying for myself listen to a portion of a prayer I may be paraphrasing it slightly that Peter and John prayed when they were in prison and now O God stretch forth your hand to declare signs and wonders and miracles among the people now others were praying for them and at midnight Paul and Silas, having a pity party, prayed, God, get us out of this dungeon. This is terrible. 
That's not what they did. The Bible says they sang hymns and praised God. These people were great because they had one solution to every problem. You know what their solution was? Their solution was Jesus Christ. Jesus. 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 Let's say it together. Jesus. Now, another thing, we said they had one solution. They were concerned, basically, about one thing. They were great because they were concerned about one thing. The first thing that I find when I read the Scripture is that every place they went, they tried to get people saved. They took that great commission... They took it to heart. They were concerned about getting people saved. Getting someone else to know Jesus Christ. This was a consuming desire that they had in their heart. Luke 19.10, and we have preached this in several messages in a row that we've, we've uh, been able to, uh, to come to you with. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. They were concerned about one thing, and that is getting people saved. Because they felt that if they were true disciples of Jesus Christ, and if Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, then if we're going to follow in His footsteps, we don't, we, we really don't have any choice in the matter. Let me ask you this. When you see people, do you see them as lost individuals that need God? How many people have you personally witnessed to in the last two or three weeks? How many people have you talked to about their souls? How many people have you tried to introduce to Jesus Christ? How many? Now I'm going to throw the first two together. <clears throat> uh, I talked first about prayer. 240 hour service. You know, we, we have a service sometimes that goes two hours and we think, oh man, this, this, is, this is long. We, we have to get out of here. I understand that, that there is there is a, a, a limit to what you can do while you just to how much time you can spend just sitting in one area. But I also understand that, that when your primary concern is, oh I've got to get home because it, you know you know what's gonna happen to people who watch the clock all the time? your body will respond and you'll get tired whether you're rested or not. Because you get excited about something. Man, I tell you what, I have been in a boat fishing. My dad, he just fished and fished and fished and fished and fished. He'd take a vacation and come up and stay sometimes a month with us. Oh, my, I just I couldn't believe how long he could fish. And I caught so many fish. I actually, I had a blister on my hand from holding a, a fish pole. I got where I would just throw it out without any bait on it because I didn't want to catch one. i just throw it out there. He was just catching them right and left. He'd say, son, how come they don't bite yours? He'd pick it up and pull it, and he says, well, you weren't watching. He said, 
You don't have something got your your bait and you weren't watching. He'd bait it and throw it out and get one on there and pull it in. Well, I had to clean all these fish. We didn't have any more room in the in the refrigerator or in the freezer. I mean he just he just fill up everything. Just fish, 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 fish. Now, I've been out with him when we'd sit in a boat a half a day. And if there's nothing biting, I'll tell you what, an hour's a long time to sit in a boat. And you get bored in a hurry. And but you let the fish start biting. And you look and you say, Oh, we have to be home within an hour. It seems like the hour passes just like this. Did you know that sometimes your intolerance of long services is no more than the fact that you're not interested in what's taking place? Does that step on your toes a little bit? And I've heard others say, Well, make the services interesting. What do you want us to do? Hire clowns to come in? Jugglers or something? I mean, it would take something very entertaining to keep a person interested if the person is not interested in the Word and they're not interested in miracles and they're not interested in spiritual things. Praise God. Are you interested in prayer? Are you interested in worship? Are you genuinely interested in the Word of God? Are you interested in lost souls coming and praying and giving their heart to the Lord? One of the most exciting moments we should have is when someone is up here praying at this altar or someone's going down in Jesus' name or someone is wanting to come to church and needing a ride. We talked about that. And you can render your service to go pick up someone and bring them to the house of God where they can find Jesus. To see these precious people come up here tonight, receive these certificates. Did my heart good to see Pam come up here. The other night when she was down here praying, all of a sudden Kim was behind her and Kim got excited and she started jumping and she started jumping backwards and I was going like this and <clears throat> I'm not an easy one to get around and <clears throat> and I was trying to get out of the way and man she was happy and I thought why is she so happy because Pam was receiving the Holy Ghost isn't that great Pam was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the entrance. Does it thrill your heart when you see a sinner step out and come to God? Does it thrill your heart when someone stands up and sings? They get tears in their eyes. They start crying when they speak of Calvary. You know, it might be that you have some glaring holes, so to speak, in your spiritual experience that's robbing you from some of the greatest years of your life because you're not praying and you're not concerned about what Jesus was concerned about. Now, the third thing I want to talk about 
they depended on one source of power. <clears throat> one source of power. Acts 1 and 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do these words sound familiar? That ye are able, that he is able rather to do exceeding abundantly and above all that you are able to ask or think according to the power that worketh within you? <clears throat> you know, if, if you have a, a circular saw, commonly known as a skilled saw, if you have a skilled saw and you're out trying to saw a board in half and you don't have it plugged up, do you know... You might as well just be trying to karate chop that thing in two. <clears throat> I see a lot of Christians, truthfully, wrestling around, trying to get through things without using the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm serious with you. People up trying to preach, people up trying to sing. We need the Holy Ghost. You know, the common thing in our day, because we're so full of technology, if things are not working, let's get a better organization. And I think I'm safe in saying this. We as leaders of this church, we've lived long enough to know that a better organization won't bring people in. We have to resort back to the same thing that brought them in on the day of Pentecost. The power of God drew them in. The power of God drew them to the altar. The power of God filled them. The power of God kept them. And I don't care what kind of an organization or program we have. Anything short of dependence upon the power of the Holy Ghost will not work. And in a day in which churches have denied the power of the Holy Ghost, oh... Listen to me, and listen to me very carefully. This is our day, because this is the day, if we will depend on the Holy Ghost, that people, I'm, I believe this, people will pour into our churches to receive the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But you see, sometimes we add machinery instead of seeking God. This has been such a great day for me. I mean, really, it's been such a great day for me. Just looking, searching, praying, seeking. I've had a lot of other things to take care of. But on the other hand, I'll tell you, you know, church things, it, it's just been a good day. Praise God. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Praise God. Can you feel the Holy Ghost running out your fingertips? Praise God. You teach these Bible studies, it's more than just say, let's teach Bible studies. We need God all over us. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Praise God. We need the living water flowing out of us. We need the dunamis, the dynamite power of God in operation. <clears throat> you know, 
you shall receive power. <clears throat> the word power does come from the Greek word dunamis, that dynamite comes from. Now, <clears throat> I would say that if someone... Uh, could, could you feature someone taking a stick of dynamite and throwing in this building and blowing up and nobody knowing it? Could you feature that? Calvary Gospel Church was bombed. 200 people in attendance, but nobody recognized it. It doesn't happen that way, does it? I'm going to tell you something. If you've got the power and you let it go, you know what's going to happen? These men that turned the world upside down has visited our city also. The Basetta of the Apostles, you know that? We have enough people filled with the Holy Ghost we should be able to turn our city upside down. Seriously. Listen to me very carefully. It's, it's a do or die. It's now or never. We need to turn this city upside down. I'm not talking about just jumping up and being nasty. Some people think, you know, if they kick up their heels high enough. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about putting everything in perspective as Jesus did. How many lost people do you come in contact with? <clears throat> I remember talking to a Jehovah's Witness one time. The Jehovah's Witness says, <clears throat> We believe that every man should go knock on doors. That's part of the doctrine. If you don't knock on doors, you won't be saved. <clears throat> so we believe that everybody should knock on doors. They said, Do you teach that? I said, well, I can't really say that I teach that everybody should knock on a door. But this I do tell our people. Everybody that knocks on doors needs to have a message that will save somebody. You see, it's equally as important as what you tell them and how you tell them as you knock on the door. You know... We rub shoulders every day with the world. We're just going to have to start affecting more people. We have the same Holy Ghost that Peter, James, and John had. Got the same Holy Ghost that the Apostle Paul had. And you know something? They did not have one ounce more of God than you have. You think of it. Because the word baptize really means filled up and running over. That's what it means. <clears throat> Just as water baptism means to be immersed, we are to be immersed, submerged in God's power. Now, <clears throat> if I fill up this glass, and I fill it all the way up with water, and every believer is filled up, nobody's going to get any more Holy Ghost than the next one. The thing about it is, baptized doesn't just mean to be filled up, but it means running over. See? And we just need this Holy Ghost just running over and running over and running over and running over. 
And if you're using it up, nothing's coming in. You're not going to affect a lot of people. Basically, it boils down to this. Some people are used of God more than others because they allow their faith to reflect Jesus Christ to the world. And some people just won't reflect him because they're more interested in other things. Another thing, and I think that all of you know this, they were great because they had one message. One message. Boy, you look at how Christianity is all split up. <clears throat> the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ was buried, Jesus Christ rose. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because he died, you can repent. Because Jesus Christ was buried, you can be baptized. Because Jesus Christ arose from the dead, you can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They preached that. They preached that every place they went. That was their message. One didn't preach one thing and another preached another. They had a common message. And all of their believers, they believed that. They believed that. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One message. One message. Basically, they didn't preach about Jesus. They preached Jesus. I, I think there is a difference. Preaching about Jesus and preaching Jesus. <clears throat> when we get into this business of Jesus, we need to preach Jesus in such a positive way that people can see Jesus among us. Do you know that Jesus Christ is in this place tonight? If you choose tonight to come to the front and give your heart to God... It's an amazing thing that Jesus can knock on your heart's door, and yet when you get up here, he's here waiting for you. You will find also that when you walk out of these doors and get in your car, that Jesus is right in your car with you. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. You think you can run and hide from conviction and from his gentle voice talking to you? You won't be able to. No, you won't. You could go someplace in a real tall, high-rise building, go in the basement. When you walk down the basement, he's going to be standing there to meet you. You can get in a plane and fly 40,000 feet in the air. And when you're soaring far above all the clouds, he's going to sit down beside you in the empty seat. He's going to start talking to you. I'm here. Praise God. Mark 16, 20. Jesus had already ascended to the heavens, but the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Praise God. You know, there was a long time in my Christian experience that I felt I was doing things for Jesus was preaching about Jesus and doing things for Jesus. But after a while, you realize, no, I don't do things for Jesus. I do things with Jesus. I don't preach about Jesus. I preach Jesus. I can preach Jesus because he's with me. We are 
laborers with him. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is designed for two heads. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know the reason why the burden is light? You know why the yoke is easy? Because you're teamed up with Jesus. Jesus does not sit down. Jesus keeps pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. Basically, in the last point that I want to cover in this message tonight, what made the early church great was that Jesus, to put it in simple terms, was real to them. Is Jesus real to you? Think about it. Is he real to you? Do you have unwavering faith that you really do believe that when you sit in your car that Jesus is there with you? That when you lift your hands and praise the Lord that God is right there accepting your praise? You know, I sought for the Holy Ghost for some time before I received it. Some of these people who received the Holy Ghost quickly and easily my hat's off to you. I was so stubborn. So, you know, I had to figure everything out. You know, I, just, I was just that way. I could visualize Jesus way off someplace in some distant world. And as I prayed and prayed and prayed, and the harder I prayed and the more fervently I prayed, the closer he got. It's, it's like hooking up the, the, the big machine for the big drag and the pull. See how far I can pull that weight out. They have some of those uh, event cars that do this, trucks and such, pull these heavy weights way out. I never could get to the limit. I just couldn't because the further out I pull, the harder it got. I never could get Jesus out of heaven to where I was. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. My pastor came up to me. Help me. You know what he told me? He told me something very simple. He said, when you pray, do you feel God? I said, yes. He said, well, then God's not in heaven. He's right by you. You're not trying to pray Jesus out of heaven down here. Oh, I'll tell you what, I prayed. Oh, God of heaven, come down to where I am. Look upon me, a wretched sinner. Come on down, Jesus, right now. Do you feel Jesus? Yes. Well, he must be right here. Jesus appeared under the twelve. They thought it was some kind of a ghost or spirit or something. Jesus said, touch me. Put your hand in my side. Later, John said this, we handled him, we ate with him. Jesus was real to us, that's what he was saying. Is Jesus real to you? I've had people come in my office and say, it feels like God doesn't even know I'm alive. Maybe. 
if you would come to a greater realization of where God is, you also might come to a greater realization that God knows where you are. He's real. He's right with me. I'm going to quote something I quoted to start with. Obviously, the 20th century people found something in God that the average Christian is not finding today. I must find that. I must. I feel like I'm a long, long ways from home. Everybody likes to visualize that. In other words, I feel like I might live to be a hundred. You ever felt like you might? There are days when I don't feel like I'll live past that day, but it seems like that I've got a lot of time left. But, you know, I've come a long ways on my journey. I know that I have fewer days left. I speak from a very sincere heart. I must find something in the latter part of my journey in God that I have not experienced up to now. I want it. I have found this to be true in my tenure with God. An important prerequisite for a brighter tomorrow is a tinge, not discontentment, but a tinge of dissatisfaction. Not in what you receive, but in what you could have received today. I'm happy about everything God's done for me but I'm not so happy about everything I've done for God. I read a statement. I don't have the author of this statement. Just a quote that somebody made. It says, we as Christians can either populate heaven or hell by our obedience or by our disobedience to his word. What made the early church great? <clears throat> they had one solution to every problem. They were concerned only about one thing. They depended on one source of power. They preached one message. And Jesus was the one thing that was real to them. Now you know why Paul made a statement like this. <clears throat> I don't even want to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. Would you stand with me? Jesus, Lord. God, I love you. You want to give your heart to God? Do we have anyone here? I just want God to talk with you. Could you just personalize, visualize? Can you see God here tonight? And if you do, would you come and give your heart to God? Step right out and come. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Do we have some workers here that you feel that your dedication has slipped a little bit and you just want to come and... I'll tell you how I feel tonight. I feel that if I weren't behind this pulpit and the responsibility was not mine to make this plea, if I were back where you were, I'd come. I know I would. That's the way I'm feeling. Oh, God. Oh, God. Have I known way, Lord? I love you, Jesus. Have I known way? Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Come on, right now, would you? it. Come on, give your heart to the Lord. Yielded and 